0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Tonight, I think we've been like five weeks, I think, or five lessons, I'll say it like that. In chapter number six and so the last time I taught from John was at the very beginning of October and so I'm just barely gonna touch on something from there to get us rolling but there's no way we'll never get through if I always go back reach back pull us and that won't happen amen so I'm gonna be reading from John chapter number six gonna start with verse number 60 it's good to have brother Mason on a Wednesday night with us which has been some time amen and uh, so things just are the, the planetary the planetary system and galaxies aligned just properly tonight in order for this to take place and so we're glad to have him in service with us john 6 in verse number 16 let me read a few verses here the bible says Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this. Remember, he's talking to them about bread and eating his flesh and drinking his blood. There's a lot of misconceptions swirling around about this. Some understanding uh, for some, others not so much. But nonetheless, so when they heard this said, when they heard this said, this is what the disciples said. This is an hard saying. Who can bear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Because remember, the argument of Jesus is that he had come down from heaven. And again, other people had some difficulties uh, dealing with that fact. He says, So what, what and if shall... You see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. Verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, Jesus says, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believe not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Amen. Tonight, he want to talk to us a little bit for a little bit along these lines from verse number 63. Take my title. The spirit quickens. The spirit quickens. Hallelujah. Father, I need, Lord, that spirit to quicken us, Lord, this evening. God, a quickening, Lord Jesus, of our minds, a quickening, Lord, of our souls. God, a quickening, Lord, of the body of believers together. I pray, O Lord, for the flesh, Lord, profit of nothing. God, but your spirit, Lord, it does a quickening work, Lord, in our lives, in the life, Lord, of this assembly. God, we'll not fail to thank you for its work that it accomplishes in us. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. God bless you all in Jesus' name. So it's been a long time, folks, about a month, about a month since we touched on the Gospel of John. And so that being said, I think it's important tonight to remind you just a little bit that Jesus had told the Jews in verse number 44 that no man can come to him, which Jesus, that is the, the, the fleshly, the, humans, the human aspect, if you will, except the Father or the Spirit, which has sent him, draw a man. No man can come unto the Lord except the Spirit draw him. And so the drawing of mankind and humanity is chalked up and owed to the work of the Father or the work of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, the last time that I taught you all in October, we talked about how this drawing effect, this drawing effect that the spirit has on individuals, that it is not a effortless attempt that even the word, the drawing in itself seemed to render or describe uh, a friction or a resistance that takes place even in the drawing of the Spirit upon mankind or upon humanity. We talked about how there being two different type of cords there's the cords of love and there's the cords of sin. And it's almost as though an individual will find themselves uh, in the middle of that tug of war, being pulled one direction by God, by His uh, un- un- undying love, and the other direction by the world or temptation or the life that you had formerly known being the cords of sin. Upon you, So there's that friction and there's that resistance even to the drawing of the spirit, the drawing of the spirit of the Lord. And I say this because after Jesus explained to the people, which included his disciples, after he explained to them that they must eat. Uh, his flesh and drink his blood, which was a metaphorical language, all right? It wasn't talking about literally, but eat his flesh and drink his blood, that the disciples now come with a response and say, Lord, uh, whether they say it out loud, it says they they murmured, but they said, Lord, this is a hard saying. And so, again, this eating and this drinking, eating of the flesh, drinking of the blood, uh, much of this is, of course, uh, alluding to Calvary, It's alluding to his flesh that he gave on the cross and the blood that was shed for both our sin and for our sickness. This eating and this drinking of the flesh and of the blood, it parallels in many ways uh, to us, as we read in verse 35 of John 6, to us coming to the Lord and then believing on the Lord or committing ourselves, our lives, and trusting in God that the eating and the drinking is compared to our coming and our believing uh, verse number 35 of John 6 not only that uh, this whole eating and drinking terminology can also uh, allude to the fact of our born again experience in our continuing in that experience after we come to know the Lord our our initial experience with the Lord because you'll remember in verse number 56 he said that he that eat my flesh eat my for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed verse 55 verse 56 he that eateth my flesh and drink of my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. So there's the, allu- the, the alluding also to the born again experience and continuing in that commitment of that experience, initial experience that we had with the Lord. All of this eating and drinking terminology and language has taken place in the scripture. And yet the disciples step back and they say unto the Lord, Lord, uh, this is a hard saying. Not even so much in them saying it's a hard saying that it was difficult for them to understand necessarily. But when you look at the word translated hard in the scripture, it conveys the idea that it's hard to accept. Or it even has a connotation that means that there's a harshness and a difficulty in following. In other words, Lord, we're having problems following through with what was said. We're having problems with doing what has been asked of us. And so, again, therein lies that friction again. Therein lies that resistance in the drawing of believers into the Lord. Uh, Eat of the the flesh, drink of the blood. All of these things concerning, alluding to Calvary and born-again experience and coming to the Lord and believing the Lord. And they're saying, Lord, uh, this is a hard saying. This is hard for us to do right? This is hard for us to do. William Barclay, he said it like this. He said the real difficulty of Christianity, he said, is twofold. He said it demands an act of surrender to Christ and acceptance of him as the final authority, number one. And number two, it demands a moral standard of the highest level. He's like, therein lies the difficulty. And so it's been even my experience uh, as a minister of the gospel, pastor, whatever, teacher, evangelist, blah, 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 amen. It's been my experience that the breakdown in going forward in our Christian journeys many times is in the doing what we know to do. The breakdown happens in the doing what we know to do. You've heard it many times. Many people say, well, uh, you know, you, 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 sh- you shouldn't. There's certain things you shouldn't do, right? But there's certain things you should do. And I, this is my estimation. I'll have a percentage for you, and I'm not pulling one out of my pocket. All right? But 99% of the time, no, I'm joking. Uh, our breakdown is in the doing what we know to do. In other words, omitting that, not, not doing that, not following, not doing the doing, not doing the doing. And yet the scripture tells us in James that he told us that if we do it not to him, it is sin. If we know to do something, we, we, we refrain from doing that, then to us, it is sin. And so to cover all the bases, the disciples didn't just leave it there. As though, Lord, this, this thing here, this is a difficulty in the doing. It's hard for us to do. But they went on to say and said, Lord, who can hear it? Who can hear it? So not only is it a hard saying, but who, who can hear it? There are a couple groups of people uh within the body of believers or among people overall for that matter. And that is this. The two groups are these. Those who resist doing what they understand and those who excuse doing anything because they claim they don't understand. large group of people fall within those two classes. Uh, I'm I'm just not going to do it because, well, you know, I understand. I'm just not going to do it. Then the others are like, well, I I would do it, but I just really don't understand what they're talking about. (laughs) Amen. I want to take you here concerning this who can hear thing. In Exodus 24 and verse number 7, uh, Moses is going to read in the ears of Israel uh, the judgments, the ordinances, and the laws of the Lord. The Bible says in verse 7 and he, speaking to Moses, took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, upon hearing this, All that the Lord has said, will we do and be obedient. Now he's just shared with them the judgments, the laws, the commandments. Of the Lord, they're being read again in the ears of the people. And their response is, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. However, in the literal translation of the Hebrew, there's a there's a little difference here. It relays, and I'm just reading it real as choppy, as literal as possible. And they said, all which has spoken Jehovah, we will do and we will hear. We will hear. That seems a little odd when you begin to think about it, because whenever you talk about we will do and we will hear, it's almost as though something's flip flop, isn't it? It's like one would rather say, well, we will hear and we will do, but it says we will do and we will hear. Has anybody in this place ever had a moment in their time? I get it probably from appearance. And I'm my parents, and I'm not saying I get it from them like it's some genetic trait, but I'm saying this is what happened in our family. If my mother ever said, listen up, Paul. Or if you've ever had someone have a conversation with you and they say, hear me out. What is really trying to be conveyed in that moment? They want you to try to understand something that they're saying. Huh? Listen up, Paul Robert, if you don't get that room clean. She wants me to understand something. If someone's saying, hear me out, they don't want me to butt in before they're finished because they want me to hear the whole matter. They're wanting me to understand something. In reality, in many ways, the children of Israel were saying, we will do and we will understand. That's still almost... Got us a little bit, we will do and we will understand. We're going to do first and we'll understand later. Again, seems a little bit out of order to us because our linear way of thinking is there is no one that could do something they didn't understand. Right? (laughs) I present to you tonight that you don't have to wait to understand something in totality in order to do it. Matter of fact, there are many things in real life and in Christian life, there are many things that we may have a general understanding of, and then that's enough for us to start to do whatever it is that needs to be done, just with a general understanding, and then we follow through. I've given these type of illustrations and things before, but let's just consider it again. You know, if I told uh, Sister Trilly back there that she cannot turn on or off that light switch on the back wall unless she could explain to me how that works as far as the electricity and all of the dynamics of how that switch actually operates and works with the electrical function, all that, if she couldn't do that until she could explain to me from her understanding how that took place. We might be sitting in the darker daylight all day long. If I told you, don't you dare start the ignition on your car unless you can tell me how that crankshaft's going to turn over and the combustion, all of those steps that happen in order for that. But you do it anyway, don't you? Huh? You do it anyway, don't you? You don't understand all of the intricacies concerning how that happens or how that takes... Some may do, but you do it nonetheless, don't you? Amen. Amen. And so there are certain things, again, both real life and church life, that you don't have to understand it to its nth degree in order to do it. Amen. As a matter of fact, from my understanding as a Christian, a lot of our growth and maturity happens, and my understanding increases as I do things that I know that God just desires. I might not understand all of the details, but I'm just doing what he desires. And as I do it, I get a greater understanding about it. The New Testament scripture kind of describes it like this in 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18. It talks about us being changed from glory to glory. The Bible says, now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, verse 18. But we all with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord We are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. What are you saying? I'm saying this at eight years old, when I got baptized in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, I didn't understand baptism to the fullness of the way I understand baptism as I stand here right now today by no means did. I had the teaching in Sunday school class. This is something that needed to be done. They might have baptized a Kindle or whatever it was into water, you know, and demonstrated these things. But I did not understand it to the degree that I understand it today. But because I didn't understand to the fullness, that didn't keep me from following through. And so over now, these many years of my life, I have a greater understanding today than what I did at eight years old, but it all came with just following through and practicing what I knew to do. Amen. All right. And so doing what God's word commands, listen to me very clearly, doing what God's word commands is not a legalistic approach. Mm -mm. I would rather call it a growth approach. Mm -hmm. We do and we hear. We do and we understand, or oftentimes our understanding is strengthened and increased through the doing of it. Take anybody, put them for the first time. I remember uh, whenever I came back home and uh, we had been traveling then for those years of evangelism, I'd been out of the pocket with any type of uh, secular work, and I went back full-time, even beyond full-time in the trenches of doing some some computer-aided drawing that I hadn't done for six years. And did it in a field that I had never done it in before. Listen, whenever I started, I felt stressed and overwhelmed. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really understand half of what I was doing. But I just did it. Number one, I know there was a paycheck that was coming at the end of the week going to help out. But what are you saying? By the time I left, I was the lead AutoCAD person in in, in that sector. The reason being is because understanding came in the doing. It came. It came in the doing, and so again, there are many things that we learn that we don't have an in-depth uh, understanding of. Oh, really? Okay, let's look at this one just just for the sake of it. Uh, when you learned the English language as a blabbering toddler or younger, right? Whenever, whenever you said "mama," right, or "dada." Or whatever it was that you said. You did that not necessarily because you understood. All of the phonetics and sounds. And grammatical interpretation of the English language. You did that because someone was urging you to do it. Come on fever And say mama. Say da And so just through a process of that. Being that little child that doesn't know all the details. Behind the English language you know what they do. The first time they speak, they mimic what someone else had. They are mimicking a sound. Woo. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost just kind of waving on by. They're just mimicking a sound. Amen. The correlation hasn't been made in their brains with all of, all the dynamics of the language. They're just mimicking a sound. But as they do it, and they continue to do it, And they pick up on other words or sounds coming from that adult figure that's looking funny in their face. And they say those things and they mimic those things. And then they start to be making associations that Dada is this manly, hairy figure that comes before me. You understand what I'm saying? And they start making the correlation to these things. Now some things begin to develop. They understand it more. And so now you, you I hope as an adult, you can take words you even never heard of in your life, but you can sound them out. You can sound them out. Why? Because you have a better understanding now than you did when you first said mama and dad-da. Woo! But how did you get there? By doing it. By speaking the language. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. Speaking the language. And so here's the fact of the matter. Have you ever messed up a word? Oh, yeah. I've murdered a few. You know, they start getting beyond three syllables. and (laughs) I've murdered a word or two. But here's the fact of the matter. Messing up in our doing is also a learning process. It's given us understanding, right? Through our mistakes. So what I'm telling someone, you can make a mistake gracefully as long as you just learn and grant some, gets and garner some understanding from it. Amen? Amen. Just some understanding from it. And so the disciples revealed just a couple things here. Then in their murmuring, if you will, about eating the flesh, amen, and the blood. Or if you will, coming and believing and obeying and committing to the Lord. It's a big struggle for them. They're saying on two, two hands, it's a hard saying. It's hard for us to do. And on the other hand, it's a hard saying to hear or it's difficult to hear. Amen. They're also saying then it is difficult for them to understand. And Jesus asked this question. After after this is going on in their mind and their lips, he asks them a question. He says, does this offend you? Has what I said to you about eating the flesh and drinking the blood, does this offend you? The word offend literally meaning, does this cause you to distrust and desert me? The very one that you should trust and obey. Does this offend you? Because... Again, the Jews have already had a difficult time accepting the fact that he has come down from heaven. Amen. But Jesus put it out there nonetheless and repeatedly was letting them know he had come down from heaven. And so then he puts out there, he says, if this offends you and you're having a hard time with me coming down from heaven, what if later you see me go back up to where I came from? You know, how are you going to wrestle with that? How's that going to set up on you? And we know according to scripture in Acts chapter number one, whenever Jesus' feet departed the mount of all of it, and the Bible says they stood there gazing, as he went back up, guess what? Where he came from. Back up into the heavens that the angel said, why do you stand here gazing? The same Jesus that went up, he's going to return in like manner. And so he's saying, if you're having problems with these, th- these things, if these are offending you, then what are you going to do that? and In reality, Jesus then brings the true revelation to what these Jews, to what these disciples are warring with. And he tells them in verse 63, he says, it is the spirit that quickeneth. He says, but the flesh... Prophets, nothing. In other words, Jesus isn't letting them know. It's this. Each thing that I ask. Each thing that if I could go back to the law of Moses, all the laws and the commandments and the judgments and the ordinances, everything that I desire of you. He says it really comes down to this basic level. It is the spirit. That does the quickening. It's the spirit. That will accomplish the work. He's trying to let them know that if I can even reach in in time to when Jesus was born, it was the spirit that overshadowed Mary and caused her to literally conceive a child, Jesus Christ, in her womb. Amen. And that Child came down, amen, as scripture would describe, from heaven. But it would be the spirit in the future that would raise that same child up from the dead. It would be the spirit that would cause him to ascend back into the heavens from which him came. It would be the spirit that would descend back down on the day of Pentecost and fill all the believers in that particular moment. And so perhaps the most important thing that they needed to understand was this. He says you're concerned as humanity looking through your flesh as though this responsibility is totally on your humanity and your flesh. You're looking at this and saying this is hard to do. You're saying as a man, as a woman, as a disciple, as a Jew, this is hard to do. You're saying this is hard to understand. He said but I'm telling you, you got the wrong perspective. This isn't about you. This is about the spirit that quickens because what you could not do in your flesh you can do through my spirit what you do not understand in your flesh you can understand by my spirit it is the spirit that quickens amen so they're grappling with all this difficulty because they're thinking it's something that in and of themselves they got to accomplish. Jesus says, "No, oh, let my spirit accomplish it through you. The spirit quickeneth. What you don't understand, what you feel like you can't do in your flesh, you can accomplish in my spirit. Galatians 3.3 verse that has my attention and catches my heart. Oftentimes, when I read it, Paul's speaking to the church of Galatia and the Galatians, he says, Are ye so foolish? Having, everybody say, begun, having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect or are ye now made to fulfill further by the flesh? Paul's basically saying, Do you think you can begin in the spirit and finish it in the flesh? No you'll have an unsuccessful journey in that measure. He said, but what has been begun by the Spirit? He says, it will come to fulfillment and completion by the same Spirit that started it. This initial experience that I got with the washing away of sins and the remitting of sins and that endowment of power from on high, honey, we'll finish it someday, Sister Melinda, by the same Spirit that started it when we went to the Lord in prayer and we had our first experience. But the difficulty between the start point and the finish point is people come across certain things they think that they're going to have to do through their flesh. God tries to take them back. It's the Spirit that quick enough. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse number 12, Paul to the Church of Philippi, "Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed?" Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He said, you've obeyed whether I've been there or not. He said, work out your own. Now, Brother McGee, you just told me this is not my flesh work. You're contradicting. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to verse 13, please. Don't just dangle on verse 12. Four. everybody say four. Or if I may, because it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Hold on. So you're telling me as I quote unquote work out my own salvation, it's really the work of God, the work of the spirit in me. Hmm? That's working out not only my desire, Amen, concerning the Lord, but also my actual action concerning the Lord? Yes. What are you saying? I'm saying it's the Spirit. That quickeneth. Someone say amen. Because Paul McGee and his flesh cannot say no to temptation. Paul McGee and his flesh makes provisions for the flesh. Paul McGee and his flesh doesn't want to go to church. Paul McGee and his flesh doesn't care about reading the Bible and praying. Paul McGee and his flesh will talk about his neighbor every which way from Sunday. But Paul McGee and the spirit says I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord. Paul McGee and his spirit says let the meditation of my yeah come on. Hallelujah. Oh, 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 You understand what I'm saying? I'm putting feet forward, but the feet that I'm putting forward are empowered by the Spirit that I have received. It's God working in me both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so that's what Paul's telling the church of Philippi. Philippi he said you've always obeyed in other words you've always done something he says you're going to you work out your salvation in fear and trembling how he says because I'm going to pull back the curtain on your actions and I'm going to s- share the origin of your success it's the spirit that quickeneth amen so their doing was really the doing of the spirit in them God worked in them someone say God works in me I like that. I like that. God works in me according to his good pleasure, according to his good pleasure. The things that he has asked, the things that he has required, the spirit quickens. The Bible says, amen, John 14, verse 26. So Philippians kind of deals with the aspect of the doing, right? Well, this is, a, this is a hard saying. This is a struggle. This is difficulty to accomplish, okay? God's Spirit's working in you. It's helping you work out that salvation, fear, and trembling. John 14, 26 deals with then the understanding fact. But the comforter, Jesus says, which is the Holy Ghost. What, what's another name that we call the Holy Ghost? Holy what? I heard you back there, Marilyn. Holy Spirit. Whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus says, He shall teach. What is a what is a predominant role of a teacher for a student? Their instruction and they're helping the students' understanding. Uh huh. He says, and he shall teach you what that Holy Spirit, 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 Spirit. Shall teach you. It's going to help your understanding concerning all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto thee. So, not only does the Spirit help us in the doing and the accomplishing of the things, it also helps us with the understanding of the things. Because here's, we got a tall tree that we're trying to climb if we're trying to understand spiritual things with a carnal mind. The Bible talks about that in Corinthians. That we can. The natural man cannot understand the things of God. And that's not a slap to the natural man. He's just talking about spiritual things are understood spiritually. Amen. Hallelujah. If you remember, he would said there in scripture that he said, I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither is it entered to the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. But he's revealed it to him by his spirit. There comes a clarity and understanding through the spirit. It is the spirit that quickens. It helps our understanding. It teaches. And so the disciples and the Jews here, they felt offended. They felt offended because in their flesh, they could neither accomplish what he asked, nor did they quite understand what he was requesting in their flesh. So they felt offended. In my flesh, Jesus, I can't do this. That's that's the only mindset they had. I I can't do this. In my flesh. I don't understand this. In my flesh. But Jesus let them know that there are things the Spirit can help them with that their flesh would otherwise struggle with. That is, I mean, wow, that's like the big limelight billboard somewhere. You're telling me the Spirit can help me with things that my flesh can't? Therein lies the struggle. Therein lies the offense. Therein lies uh, uh, the difficulty. No wonder Paul told them then uh, in the epistles as well. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk. What are you doing, Paul? I'm trying to help you out. Because you're not going to be able to make the walk and talk the talk if you don't do it through and by the Spirit. The Bible says in John 6, verse 64 and 65, I'm not reading both scriptures. I'm just kind of doing a little jumping in them. I'm kind of keeping Jesus' words together because in John uh, 6, 64, he talks about some things that he knew from the very beginning. So I'm just keeping his words together. He says in verse 64, but there are some of you that believe not going on with Jesus' red letter words, verse 65, if you have one of those type of Bibles. Therefore, said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given to him by my Father, the Spirit. He says, some of you believe not. Why? Because your belief is totally incarcerated by flesh. Can't do it. Can't do it. He says, therefore, that's the reason why I said that you can't do anything. You can't even come to me except it's given to you by the Spirit, the Father. And so the Spirit, look at it now. The Spirit quickens. The Spirit draws the soul. The Spirit fills the soul. The Spirit directs the soul and how it should live. The Spirit gives the soul understanding. Someday the Spirit's going to resurrect the soul. Someday the Spirit's going to rapture the soul. It's, folks, we are, we are the products of the Spirit. This is the spirit quickening. In reality, our yielding to that spirit of God is all the quickening work of the spirit. From the moment of conception of being a new child of God to the moment that we resurrect from the dead and raptured someday to meet him. It's a work of the spirit. Again, resisting temptation, it's a work of the spirit. Oh, God. It's the spirit. Working through your fallible flesh. Now look at this. because Jesus talks about then some of these betrayers and non-believers. There's the non-believers. There's the betrayers. There's very shortly here in the ending of the chapter those who will. If I could call them the abandoners. Those who abandon the Lord. But they are those. The non-believers, the betrayers, those that abandon. They are those. Who are putting their confidence, or at least their dependence, in their flesh. Because here's the mindset of people that lean to the flesh. When The Lord asks something of them. Their response, just like the disciples, it's a hard saying. How can we hear this? Modern day vernacular language. I can't do that. Which is true. <laughs> but what they need is the mindset he can do that through me as I surrender and yield to him. If you can't do that, whatever it may be, Brother Fred, you know, he says, whatever it may be. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it up, whatever. If, if, you, if you can't, fail not the assembly of yourselves, the as men or some is. If you can't do that, if, all these different things out there. If you can't live godly and righteously. If you can't do that, then let me ask you this can you surrender? If you can't do, can you surrender? What are you saying? Because when you surrender, you seize and stop resistance. When you surrender, then you're submitting to another's authority. Let me say it in different terms. Can you just give up? Huh? Can you just give up? I mean, most people would probably say it doesn't take much to give up. Don't take much to surrender. Don't pay, take much to quit. What do you say? I can't do that, Lord right? You can't. But can you just surrender? Can you just give up in your flesh? Can you just stop? Because it's the spirit. It's the spirit that quickeneth. Amen. I can't do it, Lord. Great. Then just give up. Lean on me. Don't lean on your understanding. Just, just give up, throwing the towel on trying to do it yourself. Woo. Forfeit the right of the struggle and let the Spirit. Hallelujah. We put a lot of, a lot of strength into the resistance sometimes. Mm. Paul said, I can do all things through Philippians 4.13. Christ. Woo-hoo, which strengtheneth me. John 6, verse 66. We got to head on here. Amen. Let me tell you, Wednesday nights are just like, I'm just kind of weird. Wednesday nights is just like one of my favorite services of the week. John 6 and verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the 12, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou, that thou art that Christ or the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So. Jesus has done a lot of teaching. He's done a lot of preaching. He's done a lot of conveying of God's word, which verse 63 tells us quite plainly that his words are spirit and they are life. And here's the amazing thing about that spirit and that life of God's word. It will either draw people to him and confirm their commitment or it will drive some away from him. In other words, we'll either surrender to the spirit or we'll surrender the spirit. Paul said in Galatians 4 and verse 16, he says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. In other words, he's asking them very much so the very same thing that Jesus just asked them in verse number 61. Does this offend you? Does this offend you? If it does. And if. I have become your enemy because I tell you the truth. You've got a mistaken idea on how this thing works. It's not a flesh walk. It's a spirit walk. And the Bible says many of the disciples walked with the Lord no more. And so as a result of that, he asked the rest of them, are you going to leave also? And so again, if Jesus, we've seen this at different times in the Gospel of John or all throughout the Bible, if Jesus asks a question, he doesn't need the answer. You do. All right, if 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 he asks the question, he says, "Are you going to leave also?" What's he wanting them to do? Wrestle with an answer, evaluate self, right? Let me alleviate a burden from someone's shoulders tonight. It is okay. To admit your insufficiency. Human flesh. It's okay to admit your insufficiency. As long as in turn you'll lean on his sufficiency. Whew. For with God. Mary said this. I like it. In Luke chapter number 1. I don't have any verses like that up there. But we might show some of them. Uh, Luke one we We'll just show the whole chapter. No. Luke one thirty-seven. She says for with God. God, nothing shall be impossible. That just came from the lips of a woman who was just told that she would have a virgin birth. Now, <laughs> woohoo! In her flesh, had an angel came up to anybody and said, "You're going to have a child." <laughs> Well, I had biology once in my life. I'm just saying. That's really not how it works. (laughs) But what is the spirit relaying to her? He said, you're going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) What you would normally believe only to be able to happen with flesh. He says, it's going to be the work of the. Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so here's the fact of the matter. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. It's not the work of the flesh. It's the work of the Spirit. And so we've not yet got it. We've not yet at least surrendered to it. Unless, like Simon Peter, we have the response, as he did to the Lord when the Lord said, well, where should you go? If we have Simon Peter's response, we're getting close. He says, to whom shall I go? You know what what Simon Peter's saying? How else is this going to be accomplished? How else is this going to? To whom shall I go? Amen. In other words, he's saying, Lord, it cannot be done. It cannot be understood aside from you. (laughs) Your words are spirit. Your words are life. And if you say, do it, Peter's like, then I am I'm just convinced you're going to empower me to accomplish it. And Peter's going to learn this lesson a little bit more directly here very soon. Because in the other Gospels, this is outside of John, but in the other Gospels, right after Peter identifies, thou art the Christ, the Son, of the living God, in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, comes then the Lord speaking back to Peter, thou art Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. And then he began to tell him the many things he would suffer of the Pharisees and the scribes and how he would die and be resurrected about all the suffering. And in that mode, then he rebuked Peter. Because Peter says, Not so, Lord, be it far from you. In all the other Gospels, that's the case. And so, what we have here is Peter given the revelation of who Jesus is, and John just doesn't include that aspect of the scripture, of the story. But it's there. And so, when we see that is there, let's listen to what took place. For instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16 and verse 21, the Bible says this is Jesus now, after Peter saying who he was, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. And from that time forth began Jesus, Matthew 16, 21, to shew unto his disciples, that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Verse 22, Then Peter took him, Jesus, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Verse 23, But he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, Diablos, (laughs) slew foot. Thou art, an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. So we have here in the closing the closing verses of chapter number six. Jesus, he he, he calls Judas a devil. All right, and and in the other gospels, he calls Peter Satan. All right, one's going to betray him; the other one will deny him. But at this current moment. Peter is offending the Lord. Listen to me carefully. I, I'm not, I don't. I don't have much longer. Okay, in case anybody's nervous. All it takes to offend the Lord is to have a greater affinity or attraction or consideration for the flesh than we do the spirit. Because if we say it's a hard saying, or if it's difficult to do, or Then what we have is a dominant fleshly view. Here's what happens. Our offense, us being offended because I can't do that, becomes his offense. We're offended because we tend to believe God is asking us to accomplish something in the flesh beyond our abilities. But God is offended because what he is asking of us can only truly be done through and by his spirit. And so as we cater to the flesh side of us, on the flesh side, we're like, it's an impossibility. Consider Mary for a moment. Back to Luke 1. Let's look at verse number 34, Brother Zach. Mary even was questionable when she was first presented with the concept of virgin birth. Virgin and birth in the same sentence. just it, It's paradoxical. It just don't really fit. Virgin birth, she says in verse 34, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. You know what she's at to begin with? Fleshly perspective. Fleshly perspective. And then, though, the moment that the angel mentions that the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you, Mary's like, I got it. I thought I couldn't do that. (laughs) I was like, Lord, virgin birth, sorry. It's job description. It's really not there. I can't do that. But the moment she heard the involvement of the Holy Ghost, Woo, hallelujah. The Bible says that she understood then that there was endless possibilities. It wasn't so much about her as much as it was about him. And whenever she understood that, in verse 38, the Bible says she told the angel, Be it unto me according to thy, woo, thy word which is spirit and which is life. The spirit quickened. I end tonight, stand with me. Whenever the Bible says the spirit quickens, the word quickens there has a variety of meanings, and it really hits all stages of life in reality. It is the spirit that makes alive. It's the spirit that gives life. It's the spirit that begets, begets living young. It's the spirit that causes to live. It's the spirit, look at this one even, that restores to life. It's the spirit that gives an increase of life. Look at all the the spectrum of life here. It is the spirit that causes, this this is one definition, causes growth. It's the spirit that quickens. It will birth you. It will cause you to live. It will restore you to life when you die. It will cause you to increase in life along your journey. And it will propel growth in your Christian experience because it's the spirit that quickens Amen. And so Jesus and John both needed a group of people of the New Testament age prior to the birth of the church, prior to their born again experience, to already be, be mulling over in their mind this concept and idea. It's the Spirit that does the work because later He's going to tell them, Go to Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high, till you receive the promise of the Father. Spirit empowerment. Woo! Hallelujah. He's going to need that, and we need that in our lives. You can do it. You can understand it. But sometimes you got to start with the general understanding of what he desires and allow that spirit to work through you, working out your salvation with fear and trembling as he is working in you to will and do his good pleasure. We bow our heads in this place tonight. Father, I come to you this evening. I pray O oh Lord today. I know there is... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.